All right, we are back with some superstar guests uh, today with Enzio von Feil, a capital preservation specialist at Financial Shield and Money Talk Stalwart. Good morning, Enzio. Good morning, Andrew. Hey, great to have you on. Uh, another uh, regular superstar is Richard Harris, the CEO of Port Shelter Investment Management. How are you doing, Richard? Very good. I like the superstar moniker. Oh, yeah. Yeah, put that in your business card. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, so, guys, uh, let's let's kick off big picture. Uh, Richard, United States uh, economy. What's your take on what's happening there? Well, uh, it's clearly slowing down, but slowing down very, very gently. I mean, we are seeing inflation coming down and everybody's happy about that. And the Fed is packing, patting itself on the back. But of course, what everybody is forgetting that a lot of disinflation is coming out of China. Uh, and we're seeing that disinflation affect the inflationary picture around the world, not the fact that uh, the U.S. inflation picture is slowing. Right. And is that because China's uh, all of a sudden discovered some new productivity gains or is they selling off inventory and oversupply from overproduction or other? Well, I think that. Yeah, I think China is is just slowing down. You know, we've seen a, a rather unusual fall in the oil price. Now, uh, China is a very, very big importer of oil, so I suspect that's one reason. Um, and we're also seeing a fall in food prices, too, around the world. And the, the biggest buyer of all of these, or one of the biggest buyer of all of these, is China. Um, and I think we're in, just in a position at the moment where... Uh, China is in a different economic cycle to uh, the Western part of the world. And I think that what we're seeing is a combination of those two factors rather than uh, a focus on the U.S. economy alone. Mm. Enzio, I know you've got some uh, some thoughts on the China economy you want to share today. Yeah, well, I think that the key problem with China, whilst I agree with Richard that it's a different cycle, it has an excess supply of goods, whilst America has an excess demand for goods, I do think that the chief gravedigger for China is actually that the, the whole private sector definition has become very blurred. What is the private sector in China? We all glibly refer to it. Well, I've dug around a little bit and they've come up with two things that have blurred the whole thing now. One is the mixed ownership reform that allows state-owned enterprises to invest in private firms and then um, golden shares whereby state investors take tiny stakes in um, these private companies and then they get huge voting rights. Where I'm going with all of this is that the government quite deliberately in China and very focused has decided that it wants the, the state party state capitalism, it wants um, the companies in China, all companies including the private, to serve the communist party. That's the objective very, very clearly put forth by Mr. Xi and co. They're very focused. One can't hold that against them. The only problem is that if the state sector can't create 80% of the employment, then things will continue slowing down. So that's my structural take next to, next to Richard's cyclical take, both mm -hmm. rather gloomy. So, I mean, you know, the typical criticism of government getting involved in business is, number one, uh, you know, you've got capital and labor, uh, bad loans to companies that really should be wound up and done away with uh, so that, you know, these the zombie companies like we yeah. had in Japan for a long time. And then labor, you know, again, if you don't shut these companies down, you've got people doing nothing on nonproductive jobs. Are they hitting on both? Is, I mean, it's yeah, kind of the model in China was, yeah, the state-owned enterprises kind of fit that description, but the private sector was very vibrant. Is that, you feel like one is starting to erode the other? 
Well, yeah, I, I, I'm just concerned. I'm, I'm not criticizing. I'm just concerned that if you thwart the private sector too much in its ability to create, and this is the key, demand-driven jobs, jobs created by the market saying we want more workers in XYZ, electronic vehicles, for instance. If you thwart that ability of the private sector to take those decisions, then you're going to have what you call this kind of redundant employment. In other words, people working, just pushing, pushing a can all day, but not really productivity productively adding to the economy. So that's that's the problem. And that's why I'm, I'm quite bearish on China on a structural basis, because even if cyclically it may pick up a little bit, structurally with this whole party-state capitalism coming more and more to the fore, um, I'm afraid that my, my sort of investor output can't be so hot. Mm. Richard, uh, what do you think of this view that the uh, this idea that maybe there's too too much uh, state getting into the capital? Well, I think that's it's not just a problem in China. It's actually a problem uh, in other parts of the world, in, including Europe. Um, yeah. of, of course, if you look at how the authorities will deal with things, I mean, the Chinese economy, uh, Chinese authorities economically are, are really pretty canny. They know exactly what's going on. Um, my feeling is that uh, perhaps in the new year, we may well see a much bigger stimulus of the Chinese economy. After all, we saw it in the US, we've seen it in Europe after um, a difficult periods. So I think they really need to fire the big bazooka. Um, they won't do it on my say so, but I, I think if you look at, at what how the economy is doing, um, there is a big likelihood that uh, the Chinese economy will be reflated by the authorities in the new year, um, because that's really the only way you can get out of a diff difficult phase like this. And if that happens, then the Chinese economy will turn around uh, in a much stronger fashion. And that'll be good for Hong Kong, too. Mm, uh, you know, if, and if the Chinese economy does pick up, is, is it going to be enough to save some of the ailing sectors? I'm thinking in particular of the property sector. I mean, could, could it turn around in the economy, save some of the, uh, the, the big guns right now that look like they're, they're in dire straits? Well, I'm not sure with the sort of debt that uh, companies like China Evergrande, you know, $300 billion in debt, uh, Country Garden, $200 billion in debt, whether that can be solved. I think that's, um, uh, th that's a problem that's gone too far. But um, I do think that we will see the business continue you know you know they will still continue in some form as a business uh building houses fitting them out uh covering the people who bought property who haven't actually moved into them yet that will have to continue uh, albeit maybe under some some state control and that's no different from from uh, other parts of the world when you have big bankruptcies uh, financially though i think they are extinct um, and uh, there's nothing you can really do about that apart from maybe just try and put the bad debt into a box and the hope that it um, eventually is worked through or, or goes away. Yep, trying to trying to ring fence bad debt is definitely you know something that's been tried and worked in some cases, not so well in others around the world. Uh, Enzio, what do you have a take on like this this structural issue with the property sector in China? What what it means for the broader economy? Well, I just on a very very macro view, I think that. There's a risk that China goes and, and becomes a little bit like Japan for 30 years, that it just gets stuck in a rut. Mm. Um, and one of these is, again, because the if, if they sort of bail out these property companies or just stick them in the box, as Richard says, which is totally understandable, then a lot of capital perhaps gets siphoned off to where, again, demand-driven, where it should be going into demand-driven sectors where 
where jobs need to be created in order just to fulfill demand. I mean, let's not forget that China has many, many people. We kind of all figured that out, I hope. Mm -hmm. And they all want to assume. But if they don't have any job security and are being given jobs that are just sort of perfunctory jobs as opposed to demand-driven jobs, then the place can't really grow. And so incomes can't grow. And so consumption can't grow. Let's never forget that it's women who drive consumption women are normally the canyer of the two sexes when it comes to using the household budget properly and i'm afraid they will say no we're not spending hmm. okay i think the other thing andrew we have to remember is that you know economies aren't homogenous and i think you know china's had a wonderful few decades where everything's grown um, but we're now in a situation where, where China, like other countries, are finding that some of the raw, basic industrial sectors aren't very profitable, and they will probably become much more mechanized, and technology will come in. But there are some sectors where China can do very well. You know, clearly the electronics sector is an area where China is, is if not paramount, then um, uh, you know, pretty well on a running par with the U.S. in in many areas. Um, uh, deficient in one or two, but but running on a par in many areas. And of course, we have the whole uh, electric vehicle supply chain that looks uh, very positive for China, and I think is a a momentum that will continue throughout the world. So, like any economy, as it develops, there will mm. be very strong bright spots and and areas which are in decline or maybe which have overcapacity like property. Mm. Uh, so I think we're going to see that kind of model uh, come through much more in China, but it'll start focusing on what it's good at. Hmm. All right. Ch changing gears a little bit. Uh, but, you know, somebody who was good at finding those bright spots you're talking about was Charlie Munger. It's the first time I've been on air since he uh, since he passed away. Um, Enzio, I know, I know you've got some thoughts that maybe people, uh, maybe now's the time to revisit some of his ideas because, uh, you know, investors maybe have lost sight of some of, some of his wisdom. Well, I'm not, yes, absolutely. I, I'll allude to one of his acolytes, Peter Lynch, of, of um, who wrote this fabulous book, One Up on Wall Street, which basically says that if you buy some selected, well-managed companies, keep an eye on the management quality and just hold them, you will do very well. Studies have shown this time and time again, and indeed even Warren Buffett, obviously Mr. Munger's friend, um, has even said that for his wife, he will be using only index ETFs to to pass on once he perhaps goes to heaven before she does. So I think these are all ideas that Mr. Munger certainly has worked with himself for years. And, and we, in this area of algo lemmings that we're currently seeing in the markets, where everybody is sort of in his dog is basically chasing anything that moves, I really think that the wisdom of these two people Munger and Buffett and Peter Lynch are is much more valuable than chasing some quarter point cut or rise on the Fed funds rate. Mm. Uh, Richard, uh, are you are you with that? I mean, do you think uh, should people just be sticking with the ETFs and the and you know the big picture, or, there, or is there still still good deals to be had if you well. Well, as an active manager, I find it a bit difficult to, to say that. But yes, I think I think the whole idea with yeah. ETFs is interesting, but I think you can spice it up by using them to allocate differently. 
have more in the US or less in the US, more yes. in Asia, less in Asia. You know, you can spice it up that way. And I think that's where it starts to get clever. Uh, and it's really come about because, of course, the share and indeed even the bond markets have become much more correlated as information has shared uh, has been shared around the world. But I think that the lesson that Munger and Buffett have given us is that there's still a lot of value out there. You know, we do chase shadows a lot in the markets. We chase mm -hmm. these narratives uh, and some narratives go on and some narratives don't. And all of a sudden you wake up on a Tuesday morning and realize there's real value there. And I think the gold market at the moment is a good example of this, whereby people have suddenly realized that gold is there. It's an asset. Um, uh, it has disadvantages, you know, you can't eat it, you can't earn anything from it, uh, but it is a store of value and it has been for 5,000 years. So mm -hmm. we've recently seen the gold price pop up. So these elements of value always exist in the market and this is the sort of thing that Munger and Buffett were looking for. All right, well, thank you very much for that. I will get in a quick note. Uh, now that Charlie Munger has passed, I think more spotlight's gonna be on Greg Abel, the Canadian that's gonna take over at uh, Berkshire Hathaway. So. One to watch. Thank you very much. Enzio Von File, Capital's Preservation Specialist at Financial Shield. Richard Harris, CEO of Port Shelter Investment Management for joining us today.